Lauren Paler, and welcome to Currency Exchange in partnership with World Class, brought to you by Diageo. World Class is a leading voice in cocktail culture and exists to inspire people to care about what, where, and how they drink. There is a great opportunity to connect with stories of our past and inner present. There is little value in knowing our history if it is incomplete and narrated in an inauthentic way. Your voice has value, just like currency, and collectively telling our stories will play a vital role in changing the narrative. Now let's introduce this week's episode. In my inaugural episode of Currency Exchange, I chat with two amazing bartenders, Fabio La Pietra and Tare Kimura. Fabio La Pietra has over 17 years of experience in the hospitality industry. He is from Milan, Italy, and has spent the last eight years in Sao Paulo bringing innovation and enhancing the Brazilian culture of mixology. Tare Kimura is an experienced bartender, lesbian, and activist. She stands out in the market for her knowledge of classic cocktails and being the creator of the Ada Coleman Collective, spends her time advocating for women in the industry. How amazing and refreshing to talk to both of you. Um, so this recording is actually going to be one of the, the first recordings and podcasts that we release, which is really exciting. Um, so it's probably important to just talk a little bit about what the overall like point of this podcast is and um you know really early on in the pandemic something I was missing a lot was travel um and one of the great things about working in the food and beverage industry is you meet people from all over the world all the time and um so what I really try to do is lean into that that network of people that we have and Fabio I got to you know work with you on another session that we did um in regards to Diageo through Lauren Moat, which is amazing. And it's been really fun to just meet people this way in the virtual setting. So what we're trying to do here is really just have discussions about topics that um, affect us all over the world. But we want to gain a little bit of perspective and talk to folks who are not in the US. Um, so today we're going to talk about how culture influences the way that we eat and drink. And Sao Paulo is rich in culture and history, as we've, we've been discussing over the last few weeks. So. Um, what is Brazil like now culturally? What is it composed of? Uh, we have a lot of uh, different types of segments inside a bar and restaurants. We have like lots of uh, immigrant uh, traditional food, uh, things we didn't have like a couple of, no, uh, about five years ago. It's much more diversified than yeah. before, I think. Yeah, you know, um, just to give some context for the people listening. So um, the Portuguese um, region, Dom Pedro, declared Brazil's independence in September of 1822, um, which used to be called Iparanga, right? Is that correct? Iparanga. Yeah. And now it's within Sao Paulo. So by 1840, um, Sao Paulo was still a, a town of about 20,000 inhabitants centered on Low Hill um, and the neighboring valley. And what ended up happening was um, we saw brick houses were being built, gas street lamps, horse-drawn street carts were coming into use, um, and coffee became Brazil's main source of export earnings. 
So as a result, the port grew at a spectacular rate and the surrounding countryside was transformed um, from an isolated frontier to an agricultural heartland. Um, and coffee provided employment for many immigrants who began arriving in, in vast numbers um, by the, the 1870s. So Italians accounted for more than 600,000 of the nearly 900,000 foreigners coming to the state between 1888 and 1900. Um, and they soon came to outnumber native Brazilians actually. Um, and then the ethnic mosaic was further enriched by Portuguese, Spaniards, Germans, and Eastern Europeans, followed by Syrians, Lebanese, and Japanese. Um, so it's pretty, it's pretty dense in immigration. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, um, yeah. What part do you think this plays, or what part does um, this history that we just discussed play into the way that the people who live there eat and drink? Um, if you don't mind, I will spend my own as uh, I've been living in Sao Paulo since eight years and a half. And obviously, at the beginning, when I moved here, literally from, uh, let's say, a northern habit, uh, indoor culture, cold, and any kind of indoor thingy that will happen when I was based in London. So the first thing that I realized, obviously, was the size of the city, the different climate condition, and also yeah. what we were eating and drinking, it, it wasn't about appreciation. It wasn't about, it was about a lot of information that I, that kept me uh, curious to know about the city and immigration and all mm -hmm. what we've been discussing in this first introduction. And to me, those that were just bunches and bunches of uh, ideas and curiosity and things that I wanted to go after. And I thought that they were kind of um, possible in a couple of years. Uh, I wasn't putting that line on myself to know in such a limited time, but I, it's, it's eight years now I'm based and I, it's just so wide, it's just so rich. And as Tata said before, you got like traditional places and habits from food and drinks from previous traditional immigration. Those immigrants and the new generation of those immigrants also, they kind of uh, strengthen up those habits, as we can see now, in uh, as a street food, as, um, let's say, a urban fine dining restaurant, so that they are not only driven by the tradition and the traditionalists, but they are executing whatever they come from as their roots from immigration into their uh, dishes and drinks. So this is one of my... Is also been one of my um, uh, generator of creativity since I moved to Brazil. And literally, if there will be something that never wanted me to go back to Italy or London, was exactly the uh, way that São Paulo it is melting pot and is endless in terms of uh, in terms of ideas and in terms of food and drinks. I would say, as we're talking about this today. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. So I wonder, what are what are some local Brazilian dishes and ingredients? that you, you know, that you're using a lot um, in your food and drinks? Mm. Uh, lately, we are trying to go for uh, native fruits, like from Amazonia, and like cambuci, uvaia, uh, wow. things that Brazilian people knew, but they don't really appreciate it. They like, uh, they prefer like, uh, fruit, imported fruit, like fruits that are not native. It's weird. Uh, yeah. Well, the Amazonia, how, uh, in distance wise, how close is that? And, uh, like, seven hours by, 
five hours by flight, São Paulo, Guarulhos to Manaus. Okay. Okay. So it's like pretty, it's like backyard. Like it's close enough. It's a, yeah. Okay. That's good. Yeah, That's it's good. quite, it's, it's, if you see map, it seems much wider and far. But once yeah. you're there, you realize how big it is because it's, it's just endless. Yeah. Amazon is really big. That's so interesting. And then, you know, we thought we talked about this. So, you know, we, 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 when we talk about food, we think things like pizza, sandwiches, like culturally our, our meals. But I know that you were saying that it's a little different in um, Sao Paulo. So do you want to explain for the folks listening? Yeah, I don't, uh, I'm not sure if it's just in Sao Paulo. I think it's a Brazilian uh, mm -hmm. as a whole, but we, we'll, we end up considering like rice and beans food, like rice, beans and meat and chicken or and salad or things like that. And pasta uh, or sandwiches are not considered like actual a meal. It's not, it's not like, it's something that you have like, it's a different type of, of meal that you have. So we say we would, we are hungry for food or we are hungry for sandwiches or pizza. So it's very specific. So that just means the calories from pizza and like pasta don't count then, right? Probably, probably. <laughs> exactly. But I'm this okay is funny as uh, as, as it sounds, uh, as we talk as day-by-day -day dishes that any kind of family will have, if that will be medium, high, uh, well-paid, or let's go back to everything it started. One more uh, trace from uh, Black history and everything mm -hmm. that happened back in the days in Sao Paulo that, that definitely tell us that the dish that was served in the day by day, it is definitely rice and beans because it comes from African culture. And yeah. that's the first culture that arrived in Brazil. Uh, I always be careful when I talk about those historical things because they've been founts of lessons and ideas to me. And if yeah. it wasn't because of that, I was probably gonna be a, a stimulated immigrant, let's say in terms of uh, and beverage, food and beverage industry. So as we have uh, as we have pasta in a day by day in Italy, your primo e secondo is always going to be two dishes. Otherwise, mm -hmm. Mama will be really angry. <laughs> so in Brazil, it's rice and beans. So th this is literally the basic. And I was so happy because in the south of Italy we have uh, pasta fagiolo uh, in dialect, pasta fagioli, which is exactly the same idea, and probably will come that from the Moors and things that they. Uh, build the culture before Italy was Republic. So I, you see so many things that are from three different poles, but the same explication and how ingredients travel and how they move and, and how they structure the tables, as I said, from slavery or from uh, whatever kind of medium high uh, dreamer Brazilian family are nowadays. But yes, rice and beans is the, it's what you're never gonna uh, miss unless you are looking for food. If yeah. you are looking for any type of other nutrients or nutrients or produce, then Sao Paulo is just, it, it can give you literally everything beside restrictions until uh, 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning. So we are not definitely looking forward to this to happen this fast. But when I first moved, everyone was telling me, you can eat every, anything you want 24 hours in Sao Paulo. And then I realized there was a sushi and eventually hot dog on the street and pasta and pizza. I was like, what am I? Like Pinocchio in... Uh, in the Paese dei Balocchi, I was like, 
I'm not mad <laughs> at that. I was coming from London after 11. You don't have any rights to eat yeah. anything. The only rights yeah. you have is the bus and go back. <laughs> That's so interesting. So it was quite relevant, you know. For sure. Um, I know uh, there's obviously, uh, culture is heavily integrated and depending on the parts of Brazil that you're in. Do you want to just clarify what that looks like um, uh, as far as the different regions? So I, I know like for, for sure, like uh, for instance, like North and Northeast part of Brazil are heavily integrated in like Spanish. Um, it's Spanish and African culture, right? Yes, a, a little bit part. Mainly, yeah. And I'm sure that translates a lot into the dishes as you alluded with the the rice and beans with African culture. Yes. Here, uh, here in Sao Paulo, we, I don't know. I, uh, I don't think Sao Paulo has this, uh, the food that is traditional from Sao Paulo, you know? There are some uh, mixes that made like on Monday, it's traditional to eat a, a dish called Virada Paulista, which has São Paulo in the name. But it's it's not a it's not actually something created in São Paulo, you know. Uh, it's something more <laughs> yeah. from Minas so than São Paulo. So I don't think São Paulo uh, São Paulo has so many different cultures that we don't have like an actual plate that you say, yeah. no, this dish is traditional from Sao Paulo. It comes from Portuguese or Spanish. No, you have like all everything mixed up. Yeah, no, that's really cool though. Um, all right, so let's talk about drinks. We talked a lot about food and you know how it's influenced. Um, what's the drinking culture like in Sao Paulo? I think it's better. Um, do you mind if I have a word, uh, my sweet Eskimura? Yes, please. <laughs> I will try to be short. So um, if we see the, the scene by, uh, by the eyes as a bartender and as, um, as a bartender that is looking for the consumers or is just looking at this floor bar and you see a loads of different people that will be couple, different ages and things. So in a cocktail bar is really common, at least I would say in the past five years, uh, more white spirits than brown spirits, you know. So uh, gin and vodka, when I first moved in 2013, it was the vodka uh, business. It was everyone wanted for vodka because they had just launched uh, like, let's say, premium, premiuming vodka back in, let's say, 10, 12 years ago. So I realized that the demand in the cocktail bar was higher on vodka. Then a couple of years, it immigrated to gin when all the gin global-wise, it was exploding. So Sao Paulo is definitely, Brazil has definitely been uh, one, uh, one of the most attractive markets for many, many brands in, uh, as white periods, I believe. And uh, what you see that sells more in bars, obviously classic cocktail. And I think this also comes from the fact that whoever, is, uh, whoever has privileges to visit cocktail bar, as nowadays is not so, I would say, democratic, but not from a point of view of, uh, let's say, uh, uh, to, to create an elite, but the consumption and, the, and the, how would I say, the interest eventually and the, how do you say, comportamental, Tata? Comportamental? Uh, behavior, uh, I don't know, something about... Yeah, the customer behavior, you know, exactly. Whenever they're looking for some places or some atmosphere, 
the cocktail bar end up being uh, kind of a little bit more elite. And I think this has to do also with, yes, with money and yes, whoever have access to this. But again, you are in a tropical country where most of the bar street culture is based on botecos, which is the best place in the world. Uh, you can be everywhere every day in your <laughs> because it's like totally low expectations. Beer is always chilled, and you have those classic botecos, classic cocktail, or let's say uh, Brazilian classic. You know, some of them they come obviously from uh, from the mixture and all the immigrations of beverages. Like most of the aperitif, Italian aperitif, Campari, Vermouth, they were produced, and they were the only Italian brands that they start to produce uh, outside Italy back in the 67 and 68. So there will be Martini and Rossi and Campari. So that means that since the 70s, 80s, you would see in any botecos, which you drink cachaça with one real, they're literally 20p US dollars, uh, a small glass, let's say, maybe 100 mils, data, right? Because people, they always try for happiness yeah. in Brazil. They don't get half measure, you know? So yeah. the, the measure is one real. And also, when I was just moved and I was ambitious, 23, a little bit virtuoso, I realized that any Bottego had Martini Bianco, Martini Rosso, Cachasas, Chinar, and other classic aperitifs. I was like, what the hell is it? I mean, it's, am I in the right place? So this, to me, gave me space to see the habits, the common ingredients that people would associate in classic cocktails, as Negroni, as Manhattan, and, those, the, and all the cocktails that they carry those ingredients as components, right? But people, they would still have a different, uh, how can I say, impressions if you would use Chinar or, or some other of those classic beverages because they can find in the Botecos. So a cocktail bar customers is gonna, at the beginning was feeling a little bit disappointed if you make like really good cocktail with a good spirits, but you complement with any kind of ingredients that you can find somewhere else. So I believe that any professional in Brazil and bartenders in the last, in the past 10 years, uh, felt this and also had the space to re-educate the customers. So nowadays the demand is much more structured, is much more straightforward. And mm -hmm. I say, uh, as I say again, Lauren, being a tropical country and 26, 28 degrees average all year long, that means that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, bar, they are full. If you have a successful business, good atmosphere yeah. and a nice outside area, it's killer. When I first moved from London and I saw these, I never see bar open and pot <laughs> running 160, 180 people on Monday and Tuesday at night. And Brazilians, mainly, exactly, mainly Paulistano, the one we uh, attend and serve every day, they don't want to stay home. When I first moved in Sao Paulo, the company was telling me the philosophy of the three places, breakfast, lunch, cocktails and dinner. This is how they design the company I work for, which has 25 in a, uh, in a hospitality business in Sao Paulo. And they mm -hmm. have about 20 plus units. Uh, yeah. Some of them, that they still have more, but they've been closed in the, in the past year and a half. So I learned a lot of things that mainly wasn't because of me and my knowledge from the UK or from classic hotel here, but there was something that I get to learn and also find spaces to understand the customer trying to swap the traditional things that premium consumers that they don't want anymore and trying to implement this with immigration. As I said, Chinar, Campari, Martini Rosso, Japanese ingredients, Yuzu and whatever it is because it's the second highest immigration and obviously local ingredients. So as much as wide it can be, I believe that this is, it kind of stimulate me to look at the customers and try to introduce them 
all they already common they have, but with a little twist that they have so close to them in their culture as native ingredients, but it's never been introduced yet. Obviously, mm -hmm. we know, me and Tata today, we didn't discover Brazilian fruits, but those, as I said before, they were associated to people that they live in the forest. They were associated to indigenous people. Yeah. They were associated to people. So why should I have Cambusi in a premium cocktail bar? Uh, most of the chefs, they inspire and they show Brazil all over uh, the world. They've been doing the same shit, uh, sorry, the same work. Sorry, most of the chefs, they've been doing the same work and they inspired us. And they gave us, uh, let's say, direction and discipline, mm -hmm. so we could we could preserve yeah. local ingredients, we could introduce to local consumers, and we can also strengthen up the local service as professional category. And this is something that we kind of talk me and that every day, uh, through drinks, through trainings, through consultancy, and through our colleagues and friends. Then now, uh, the closest one and our teams, they are not passing the best moment in Brazil yeah. as business they've been closed since it's been quite devastating i would say like everybody in the world yeah you know so i wonder then uh are there other countries or or places outside of brazil that influence um the types of drinks that people are making as well mm. uh, from my perspective i think uh, most of bartenders inspire themselves uh, by searching for European and American trends, North American trends. So I I don't, I think that's just it. Yeah. Some of them by Japanese, but a li very little. What are, what are some of the things specifically that you're seeing? Uh, they like to work a lot with hard spirits and very alcoholic beverages uh, they are trying to to work with uh bitter uh bitters and infusions with using wood and this kind of things i think it's great uh if yeah. it's done properly of course of course are you seeing a lot of like culinary techniques being integrated into the bar world as well like molecular gastronomy you know more, yeah. more like decadent looking beverages, more beautiful looking beverages as well, as far as garnishes uh, and stuff. Yeah, I, uh, molecular gastronomy has a lot of influence here in Brazil. Uh, I don't know if you know, but there is uh, this bartender who put uh, ginger foam on a Moscow mule. So now everyone thinks that drinks come with foam, especially Moscow mules, which is not that great but they are they are really stepping up their great game about uh this molecular stuff it's it's very nice that's awesome yeah you know and i think it takes time um we obviously saw a huge wave of it here in the u.s and now um a lot of books have come out that really help guide the way and ensuring that it's you know executed properly which is amazing but it's awesome to see that that's you know transitionally like occurring um, over there in Brazil as well. Um, exactly, yeah. exactly. In, yeah. in the past years, we saw many, many more professional, um, considering how the biggest scale that they have in Brazil, and unfortunately not so many professional, they have a clear and good access to how to develop that. So 
but gradually it is growing. People are starting to understand more the single products. This is something that, uh, as I said before, is, is kind of stimulated me not to feel the need and missing my country, but to stay here and have more time so I can try more things and practice and discover more. So uh, by the moment I realized that those single ingredients and all those native things that for any foreign person uh, in the food and beverage industry, that will be like crazy. It's just so many things at the same moment. You say, what are I going to start from? So um, uh, lots of bartenders now, they are being more careful on how they manipulate them. For example, yeah. if before uh, following some kind of um, uh, uh, previous, I wouldn't say wrong, but previous and past uh, methods and techniques for infusion, uh, we would see everything uh, on alcohol, right? Because alcohol was the first tools that we could infuse or tea or barks or anything, you know, or herbs and anything that we will make our infusions or maids bits and da da So now I, I questioned myself in the past years and I try also to um, bring this to my colleagues, my senior and junior bartenders. And we realized that the fact of us not thinking straight on the uh, alcohol as a tool and as a, a, a method of extraction. So we could give a space to some local ingredients, right? So we did the opposite. We say, let's not think about the alcohol and we think only about the local ingredients. So uh, we practice uh, based on just eating uh, uh, the main ingredients and see what kind of other ideas and bridges is gonna bring us, but not starting from what we've been doing for so many years. For example, grapefruit, cardamom goes well with tequila or oranges and cinnamon goes well with Christmas and whiskey, right? Mm -hmm. This is not wrong, but this is part of something that we already practice in the day by day. So if we don't change method or we don't bring us to, uh, we, we take ourselves from the comfort zone of the same techniques used, then we migrate to another things. For example, we start to think only with water rather than alcohol. I say, if we always underestimate water for infusion and how to extract flavor, what if we don't use any more alcohol and we focus on water? So the only flavor that we get, we extract them from water, from kambusi, that will be, could be a soda. Or eventually what we were doing, we were doing also some really easy cacao cascara tea, chill down, nice bath, and then we, we were rectifying to make some kind of sodas. Mm -hmm. If you will bring me those ingredients, my dear Lauren, about five years ago, that will be me, Tata and all of our friends are trying to put it on vodka or gin or whiskey, right? So this yeah. is what I'm saying is not wrong, but the only way I, I managed to give space to my training and my uh, understanding of the uh, raw material, it was not to starting from alcohol or for balance or for base for a cocktail, but starting for water. The rest, obviously, once I build the main flavor, I gave space automatically to myself to realize that this goes well eventually with pine or gin. And, and that's how we try to keep ourselves alive, to try to give us uh, to, to give us more space and practice for making experiments on drinks and things, especially now that it's all closed. So yeah, that's, that makes a lot of we're sense. We're going back slowly and we're practicing slowly as well. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Um, I don't I, know if that was clear, but I got excited as you realized, Lauren. You you do, and I'm here for it. I am not mad at it. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate that, yo. Sada, <laughs> <laughs> I have actually one last question for you, and then I have a question for you both. Um, well, I know that with the work you do with Collective is specific to women in the um, the market in Brazil, and I wondered. 
um, what what kind of work have you all been doing for the you know females and the LGBTQIA plus communities down there? And what is what are the conversations around that look like? Are there a lot of people talking about it? No, uh, only when it's Women's Women's Month, uh, March, then they are very interested in women, but <laughs> uh, the other months are practically we are forgotten. So uh, with the collective, we are trying to uh, have a better way to teach people how to work and other kind of things because here in Brazil, since bartending is not a, a legal, legalized profession, uh, regulated, I don't know the, the expression, but uh, we don't have like uh, demands for job, job, for jobs. So we don't, uh, we can't actually ask for people to have a, a course or uh, anything like that. So the courses here, the, uh, the classes and the workshops are very bad. Um, they focus only on getting money from who is taking the class uh, instead of paying attention that uh, in the professional that yeah, they to are. Yeah, the education. Yeah. So we are trying to make uh, some of these things work. Uh, we, we plan to try to open a, like a, a bar school or something like that. Very cool. Uh, but not only for women. Uh, women would be like, would study for free or have like discounts, but, uh, but to, to get this part of the system better than it is now. Because we have uh, some courses, uh, but they are, uh, since they are, uh, brand uh, financial they are very specific so yes that they, makes sense they only think... deal with their own brain and that's not what we're looking for in the industry yeah a little bit more versatility really focusing on education and providing yeah. everyone with like a foundation to be able to expand on yes. which is important it's important um, and you know I think Something we don't talk about enough in the industry is accessibility, right? Yes. If, if someone doesn't have internet or a computer, they can't access online classes, right? Yes. Um, so being able to have a space where they can come to and really learn is essential. It's important. Yes, it is. So we're trying to make that work. And I think that's it. Uh, we do yeah. like some events to raise money to, so we can go forward with this idea and that's it yeah no that's amazing um thank you would certainly love to see how focus on health can continue to you know support that cause because i think it's so important yes um, and you know we'll have to get me to brazil somehow so I can yeah that help teach some classes so, that would be terrible you would hate <laughs> brazil all right y'all i think this has been an amazing conversation i've learned so much i'm hoping Anyone who's tuned in has also learned a lot. Um, before I let you both go, I have a question for you. If you could eat anywhere in Sao Paulo today, what would be your go-to meal and your go-to drink? Mm -hmm. mm. 
<laughs> me and Tata, we do this challenge every day. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes so when she's on restrictions, I come with some kind of suggestions that they automatically eat her restrictions. So I try to come back in there. So we are pretty prepared on this, Tata, right? We do this every day. Yeah. So let me see my cards. Like Yu-Gi-Oh, let me see my cards. I choose uh, definitely if I will go for a drink, so I will go for uh, in, a, in a really small tiny place which is called Cervejaria Centra, Central yes. which not is not for drinks but uh, for beer downtown <laughs> local beer yeah we love the beers that they have because it's just low expectations energies they are really nice from the beginning to the end of the service even though those restrictions they have really nice appetizer but everything tastes sharp and crispy from the beginning till, till the end even some classic cocktail uh, so they nice also have now out? their own yeah. And, and things are just like on point. Just a little bit. <laughs> yes, always. And they serve they serve their own cachaça called the Jararaca. So, my dear Lauren, the Jararaca is indigenous name for yeah, it's indigenous name for a snake for a specific type of snake. But the name of this label also has the face of Lula. Of so everyone will support Lula back in uh, uh, political things. I don't know if I would go for food. I would go definitely look at me for Don Chan Izakaya, which is totally classic mm. Izakaya style, counter of 10 seats. And you don't amazing. have a share room for karaoke. So you got the microphones and the karaoke in the same space where the guy is cooking and you are sitting and eating. So it's just one. <laughs> it's really funny. That. So it has been ages I haven't been there. So that sounds amazing. Beers and Izakaya, we're not going to go wrong. Yes. How about you, Tara? Um, same thing. Yeah, I think so. We practically eat and drink everything <laughs> together as as, yeah. a, as one person. Yeah. Uh, but I really like their their beer. It's very good. Uh, That's awesome. Uh, I can't uh, wait to visit. Yeah, you're gonna go to so many cool places. Yeah, there, yeah, I love that. Well, yeah. okay, I'm going to conclude this by giving y'all a drink that you can make at home, inspired by this conversation. So, Great. we're going to do a Catawan espresso martini infused with coffee beans. So, Catawan infused with coffee beans. We'll do an ounce Very and a half fancy. of that. Yes, one ounce of espresso. And then we're going to do some fruit from Amazonia. Uh, Amazonia, right? Some fruit, some uh, exotic fruit. Right. Where is it from? Yeah, yeah. Cambusi is local, is local from Atlantic Rainforest, which is yeah. basically the biome that we are in. Yeah, make a beautiful puree out of that and put a half ounce in that espresso martini, a bar spoon of simple syrup, shake it up, strain it into a coupe. Deliciousness. Yes. So and thank you for choosing us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> No, I thank you both for coming on. This is a lot of fun. It was. I liked. I loved it. Ah, that's and, a and pleasure. So, what we've been so, missing is conversation. Yeah. So I agree. I agree, and I think we need to have more of them. Awesome. Well, um, until next time, y'all. Thank you for listening to the Currency Exchange podcast. To learn more about Currency Exchange, 
World Class, or Diageo, visit fohealth.org backslash currency dash exchange dash podcast.